Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladina amanu, O you who have believed, istajibu, respond, lillahi, to Allah, walil rasul, and to the messenger. Ida da'akum, when he calls you, meaning when the messenger calls you, lima, to that which yuhyikum, it gives you life. Respond to Allah and His Messenger. Meaning, respond with obedience. When Allah is telling you about something, when He is calling you to something, when His Messenger is instructing you with something, then what should you do? Just sit there and not lift a finger? Your ear should not receive anything? Your mind should not understand anything? No, istajibu, respond. Show that you have some kind of life. Who doesn't respond? Either a person who's deaf or someone who's dead. Someone who's deaf because they haven't heard. So obviously they cannot respond. If you want to communicate with them, you have to communicate with them in a way that they will be able to receive what you're saying to them. And who else cannot respond? The one who is dead. Because no matter what you say in front of them, they don't hear it. And even if they do, they cannot respond because they don't have that ability anymore. So istajibu, show that you're alive. Show that you still have life in yourself and respond. Istajibu lillahi wa rasul And especially respond when? Ida da'akum lima yuhikum. When he calls you. Who calls you? The messenger calls you. Because even the command of Allah, who will give that to you? Who will tell you about that? The messenger of Allah. So when the messenger is telling you to do something, then respond. And notice what has been said over here. When the messenger calls you to that which gives you life. لِمَا يُحْيِيكُمْ Yuhi is from hayat. What does it mean by this? Respond to that which gives you life. You see, everything that the Prophet ﷺ delivered to us, what is that? Life-giving. The Qur'an has been called ruh, soul, spirit. Why? Because the Qur'an is as essential for us just as ruh is to our bodies. Can a body survive without a ruh? Can a body survive without a ruh? No. It could be healthy, it could be young, perfectly fine, no problems, no illness, but if the ruh leaves, then the body is useless. It is nothing. It cannot move. It cannot live. Just like that, the Qur'an the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what are they to us? Life. They are what bring meaning to our lives. The teachings of the book of Allah and the sunnah of His Messenger, they are what make our lives purposeful. Because essentially, what are they calling us to? The worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is the worship of Allah for which we were created. That is the purpose of our lives. So when we're fulfilling that purpose, what does it mean? Then we have life. Then we are living. And if we're not fulfilling that purpose, then we are as good as dead. Think about it. If there is a telephone, okay, and it hasn't been charged, but it works perfectly fine, it just hasn't been charged, then it is as useless as what? As what? A piece of plastic. Right? Because you can have it in your bag, but if you cannot even turn it on and take a picture, if you cannot even turn it on and make a phone call, if you cannot even turn it on and send a text message, what use is it? It's useless, right? When will it be useless? When it will have life. What is the life of that phone? Battery. Power. Right? So just like that, what is it? that makes us alive? What is it that makes our lives useful, purposeful, meaningful? What is it? It's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded. Without it, our lives are dead. Allah says, إِذَا دَعَاكُمْ لِمَا يُحِيكُمْ And also, when a person will respond to the call of the messenger, then he will be able to live the life of Eternity, where? In Jannah. Because if a person ends up in hellfire, yes, he's staying there forever. But what do we learn in the Quran? Then in hellfire, he will be 
Not alive, not dead. Meaning he's not living a life that is called a life. And he's not dead either. He's in that extreme agony forever between life and death. Extreme agony. So even if a person is conscious, would you call that life? For example, if a person is in extreme pain at the hospital, suffering from chemo and the effects of chemo, not for one day, not for one month, but for years and years, but they're living, is that life? They can't talk. They can't wear nice clothes. They can't go out and enjoy with their family. They can't go shopping. They find it difficult even to watch television because their eyes hurt, their head hurts. So is that life? Would you call that a life? No. What is life? A life in which you are happy. So when is it that a person can live that? When he responds to Allah and His Messenger, then he'll be able to go to the home where he can live for eternity. In the Qur'an we learn that the hereafter, that is hayawan. That is the real life. That is what you should be striving for. And where is that? In Jannah. So respond to Allah and His Messenger, إِذَا دَعَاكُمْ لِمَا يُحِيكُمْ And this is why no matter what command it is that comes from Allah and His Messenger, we should respond. Because ultimately it will lead us where? To eternal life in the home of the hereafter. And we see that once the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, he called a companion. He called him and that companion was praying salah. So what happened? That sahabi, he didn't respond because he was praying salah. What did he do? He ended his prayer and then he went to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, you called me, I was praying salah. The Prophet ﷺ said, haven't you heard the statement of Allah that istajibu lillahi wa rasul idha da'akum lima yuhikum? You should have responded to me because I was calling you to that which would give you life. But if you think about it, that companion was praying. And the Messenger ﷺ was essentially saying that you should have broken your prayer and responded to me immediately. What does that mean? Because that was voluntary prayer. It was not mandatory prayer. Which one was it? Voluntary. So even if a person is performing a voluntary good deed and the command of Allah and His Messenger come, what is more important? What is more important? The command of Allah and His Messenger. Because that is obligatory on you right now. And when you have a choice between obligatory and voluntary, then what is it that you have to go for? That which is obligatory. إِذَا دَعَاكُمْ لِمَا يُحِيكُمْ And then the Prophet ﷺ, he taught him something about the Qur'an. He taught him something about Surah Al-Fatiha. He gave him some knowledge. And that was what? مَا يُحِيكُمْ That which gives you life. So no matter what command it is, any instruction, remember, if it comes from Allah and His Messenger, it will eventually let you have a life. You know like people say, go get a life? Have a life already? So what is it that will get you a life? What is it that will make you living? Responding to the commands of Allah and His Messenger. And remember that the context of this ayah, the surah, is what? The battle of? Which battle was it? Badr. And the battle of Badr was the first major encounter between the Muslims and the mushrikeen. And first one means that there will be many more, many more in the future. Like for example, when you have your first test, then you find out, oh, you'll be having lots of tests now. Two tests per juice. So then you're like, okay, 60 tests. Wow. That's a lot. One assignment per Jews. Wow, 30 assignments. That's a lot. So first one means there are many more to come. And remember that this battle was not an easy battle. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helped the believers, but still, it was very difficult. And perhaps brought some hesitation in the hearts of the believers that this is what we're going to have to do from now onwards. I mean, until now, we were just focused on prayer and charity. Now we also have to pick up our weapons and go to battlefield and risk our lives. You can imagine that fear. Like if somebody tells you to do something that you find very difficult. Like for example, if you are told, go and cook. And you don't like to do that. You're afraid of even going into the kitchen. Hmm? The first time you do it, what do you think? Oh, so this is how it's going to be like for the rest of my life? Like for example, a girl gets married and then she has to cook and she's like, 
Oh my God, this is too difficult. This is how it's going to be? And you wonder, what is going to happen to me? You are afraid about the future. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comforts the believers, don't worry. Don't worry. If Allah and His Messenger are calling you to something, even if it's something very difficult, remember eventually it's going to give you a good life to live in this dunya and definitely in the akhirah. It is that which will give you life. Because without it, you are dead. And remember that when a person dies in the way of Allah, then what does he get? Eternal life. Even before the Day of Judgment, he's enjoying. Like we learned earlier in Surah Ali Imran, that don't say about the people who die in the way of Allah that they are dead. بَلْ أَحْيَاء عِنْدَ رَبِّهِمْ يُرْزَقُونَ فَرِحِينَ بِمَا آتَاهُمُ اللَّهُ They're happy, rejoicing, enjoying all the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving them in the life of Barzakh. So, إِذَا دَعَاكُمْ لِمَا يُحْيِيكُمْ Any command that comes from Allah and His Messenger, what does it do? It gives a person life. وَعْلَمُوا and know أَنَّ اللَّهَ That indeed Allah, يَحُولُ He intervenes بَيْنَ الْمَرْءِ Between the person, وَقَلْبِهِ And his heart. وَأَنَّهُ And that indeed He, إِلَيْهِ To Him, تُحْشَرُونَ You will be gathered. Know, O believers, that Allah intervenes between who? A person and his heart. يَحُولُ From the root letters, حَا وَاو لَام حَالَ يَحُولُ is to come in the middle, to come in between, to interfere. حَوْل is also used for obstruction. Because it comes in the middle and it prevents you from doing what you want to do. So what is mentioned here? That realize that Allah can easily interfere between a person and his heart. Meaning between the heart and the person is who? Allah's decision. Is who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. His power. What does it mean by this? Between a person and his heart. Where is the intention? When you want to do something, whether good or bad, where is that intention? In the heart. Okay? Now, you have an idea in your heart. The intention to do something. Alright? How is that intention going to translate? Where? Either in your actions or in your words. Alright? So your words, your actions, what are they? You. So al-mar, the person. What is the person referring to? The actions that a person does. The words that a person says. So between what you want to do and the reality of those actions is who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning, when a person makes the intention to do something, then he is given some time to follow that through. To put that idea into practice. To bring that intention to reality. Like for example, you make up your mind, I'm going to give sadaqah. Alright? So what happens? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you the ability. He gives you the chance. But what happens is that if a person does not avail that chance, does not follow through soon, then what happens? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the full power to come in the middle. And sometimes what happens? Your mind changes. Your intention changes. Or the circumstances change. And now you no longer have that chance, that ability to perform that good deed. So for example, in the morning you make up your mind, the first thing I'm going to do when I go to the masjid, I'm going to put some sadaqah. Alright? So what happens? You get to the masjid and you're like, um, you know what? I can't be bothered right now. I'll give it at the end of the class. Just giving you an example. You're like, I'll give it at the end of the class. Then what happens? By the time the class ends, you've changed your mind. Because you're hungry and you smell that pizza. And you know that you have to go and cook lunch at home. So you're like, you know what? I'm just going to buy all that pizza and I'm going to take it home. Your intention changed. Circumstances changed. The intention that you made, you were not able to act upon it. Why? Because you delayed, you deferred. So what do we learn over here? What do we learn here? That when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the ability to hear something good, and on hearing that good thing, the intention to perform something good, you know, it grows in our heart, then what should we do? 
act immediately follow through instantly because if you will delay and procrastinate then you don't know allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might take that tawfiq away from you he might never give you that chance to do that good thing ever again and the circumstances might change and even if you want to do it you might not be able to do it take the example of a test you say okay i'm going to take the test i'm going to sit and i'm going to revise i'm going to study and then the morning off you're like no i can't be bothered i'll do it later and then what happens next week you find out you have one retest to make and there's another test coming up and then you're like how can i do two tests you know what i'll defer this one and now you have this retest that's lingering on for how long Two months. And then because of that, you've developed a bad habit because if you can skip a test once, you can skip it again. And you can skip it again. So you have so many tests to make up at the end that you're like, forget it. I'm not going to take the certificate. And then you're like, I'm so far behind, I might as well skip the classes. I might as well drop out and become a listener. You see what happens? This is why it's so important that as soon as we listen to something good, Allah gave us the ability to have that intention to do that good. What should we do? Do it immediately. Do it immediately. Because you know very well that if you delay, you won't be able to do it ever again. Your heart is soft. You have the desire to act. When do you think you're going to have that feeling ever again? It's going to be so difficult. The state of the heart, it changes. I remember when I went for Umrah, this was after I studied the Qur'an, I went for Umrah, and you know like when you go there and you see everybody covering up, and what happens is that you also, naturally you start covering yourself up. Like many times it happens with women, that they go there and they start wearing hijab, right? Or men, they grow their beards and they never shave them off afterwards, right? So I had been thinking in my mind to start covering my face. You know like the idea is just brewing in your head and you're like, yeah, I'll do it when I become this. And yeah, I'll do it when this happens. So this is exactly what I was doing. But when I was there at Umrah, there were so many men and I don't know why you feel over there that all the men are staring at you. Has it ever happened with you? But anyway, I felt like that a lot, that all the men are just staring at me. So I felt uncomfortable. So I took the side of my hijab and I would just, you know, cover slightly. So anyway, I did this throughout the trip. And when I get to the airport to leave, I'm like, yeah, I should just uncover my face now. And I was like, really? You're going to do that? You've been covering your face this whole time and now you're going to take it off? What are you doing? You think you're going to be able to do it again? This whole experience that you had, you were actually able to do it and now you're going to stop? If you stop now, when, when in the future are you ever going to be in this state that you'll have the confidence to do it. I'm like, it's now or never. And I remember, <laughs> literally, putting it on, taking it off, putting it on, taking it off, putting it on, taking it off. Because I was afraid, obviously. You have those fears. You know exactly what I must have been experiencing at that time. But I told myself, it's now or never. It's either now or I'll never be able to do it. And this is just one example. There are many things in life where you feel like that that it's going to be either now or I'm never going to be able to do it again. So what is necessary? You beg Allah, Ya Allah, you give me the strength. Ya Allah, you please make me do it. I want to do it, you make me do it. And if you seek help from Him and you have that burning desire to do it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you the strength and the courage to do it. I remember at that time I felt as though everybody was staring at me. And now I feel as if nobody's looking at me. That fear, it leaves your mind. You have that calm, right? You have that comfort with what you're doing. But anyway, the reason why I mentioned this to you was that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts a thought in your heart, you want to do something good, then just do it. Because, وَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ يَحُولُ بَيْنَ الْمَرْءِ وَقَلْبِهِ A small example. You finish your fard salah, maghrib for instance. And then you're doing your athkar, you're like, sunnah or no sunnah, sunnah or no sunnah. And then you're like, huh, let me check what's going on here. And where's my phone? I didn't check my phone for so long. Where's my phone? You know what you have to do before you even look at your phone? Get up and say, Allahu Akbar. Just get up and say, Allahu Akbar. Because when you'll say, Allahu Akbar, then you will perform your sunnah. But if you dilly-dally and waste your time and go here and there, let me go do this and come back. Uh-huh, you're not coming back. You're not coming back. 
So anything good, anything, any act of obedience, whatever it is, just do it. Just do it. Don't wait. Don't procrastinate. Because أَنَّ اللَّهَ يَحُولُ بَيْنَ الْمَرْءِ وَقَلْبِهِ And remember that if you don't obey him, can you run away from him? Can you? No, because وَأَنَّهُ إِلَيْهِ تُحْشَرُونَ How long will you avoid obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How much will you defer? How much will you procrastinate? You think you're going to live here forever? One day the angel of death is going to come and take you away. So before that day comes, do something already. And get a life. لِمَا يُحِيكُمْ He'll give you life. Really, get a life. Because what is that life without ta'a, without obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So get up, obey, respond, before things change. وَاتَّقُوا And fear. فِتْنَةً A trial. لَا تُصِيبَنَّ لَا not تُصِيبَنَّ It will definitely reach الَّذِينَ Those people ظَلَمُوا Those who did ظُلْم Those who did wrong مِنْكُمْ Among you خَاصَّةً Exclusively وَعْلَمُوا And know That أَنَّ اللَّهَ شَدِيدُ الْعِقَابِ That indeed Allah is severe in penalty Respond already Take that leap Go forward Obey Respond to Allah and His Messenger Get a life already Because otherwise what will happen? Fitna Otherwise there will be a fitna Such circumstances will happen that the situation will deteriorate to such a bad state that every single person will be affected by it. It will take in its fold all people, those who obey and those who disobey. Those who respond and those who don't respond. So obey before this happens. What is this fitna referring to? What is this trial referring to? This fitna is basically referring to great tribulations, great trials, difficult times, hard times. And this takes form in many different ways. Whether it is in the form of political turmoil, or family instability, or financial crisis, whatever it may be, at a small level, at a greater level, This is what that fitna is referring to. Trials and tribulations. Difficulty upon difficulty. Because you see, the thing is that when there are people present within a society who are actively voicing the truth, who are creating reforms, then what will happen? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will show mercy towards them. Because as long as people are seeking forgiveness, as we will learn today, and as long as people are striving to improve, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will show mercy to them. But when this stops in a society and nobody is speaking out the truth, nobody is responding to Allah and His Messenger, then what will happen? Such trials and tribulations that will affect everybody. Those who are living their private righteous lives and also those who are living their public sinful lives. It will affect everyone. Because think about it, if there's political turmoil, Is it only those people who go out on the streets and demonstrate? Are they the only ones who are affected? No. Everyone's lives are shaken up. Everyone's lives are affected. It's not just the criminals. It's not just people who are, you know, who believe in certain things, who do certain things, who get affected. Everyone gets affected. If there's an earthquake, then is it only the people who don't pray salah who are affected? Who gets affected? Children, little children, babies, infants, toddlers, old people, right? We hear these things all the time. And we wonder what's happening. What sin did those children commit? What sin did these elderly people commit that they were in such great trial and tribulation? Why? Because we see that at a general level, as a whole, what is the state of the ummah? What is the state of the Muslims? That we learn about what Allah and His Messenger want us to do, but we become deaf to it. We don't respond. And as a result, what has happened? Because of our disobedience, there is fasad everywhere. And it is not just the disobedient people who are being affected by it, Everyone is affected by it. In fact, the people who are somewhat more obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are more affected by that fitna. 
their lives are even more difficult. Why? Because if they want to eat only halal, then they can't find a job. Right? If they want to earn only halal education, then they can't find any halal loan. Right? We see that. Despite the level of religiosity, of religious commitment we see, everyone is affected by fitna. Why is that so? Because the state of humanity at large, the state of the ummah at large is what? We know what Allah and His Messenger want, but we don't respond. So Allah says over here, وَاتَّقُوا fitnatan. You better obey. You better respond. Do something already. Before such trials happen, such tribulations occur, that will not just affect the sinful among you exclusively. No, it will affect everybody. Notice the word khasa. Khasa is from the root letters kha, sad, sad. Exclusively. And know that indeed Allah is severe in penalty. So this fitna, this tribulation, is also a form of what? Punishment. Because think about how many wrong things are happening, and what are we doing about it? What are the Muslims doing about it? In our own houses, we see sin being committed, but we hear and we pretend like we're deaf. As if we don't know. In our own houses, music is blasting. Literally. There's haram scenes coming on large TV screens. But it's as though we don't know it is wrong to see such things. It's as though we don't know it is wrong to hear such sounds. We have become deaf to Allah and His Messenger. So why do we think that our prayers will be answered? Why do we think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be merciful towards us? I remember recently I was traveling and this lady, she said, you know, it's become so bad that now Allah doesn't even listen to our prayers. She said, I don't know what's wrong with Allah. He doesn't even listen to our prayers. Na'udhu billah. I was shocked to hear that. I said, how much is it that we listen to Him? How much is it that we listen to Him? And then she's like, yeah, but you know, our typical excuses that we come up with, as if we have a license to disobey God. We have a license to know, yet disobey. So remember, any problems that we're facing, any problems, there are a direct result of what? Our disobedience. And remember, if something wrong is happening in your house, in your family, and you don't stop it, then remember that one day it'll affect you. One day its consequences will affect you as well. This is just like the example that the Prophet ﷺ gave of a people who are traveling in a ship. Those who are in the lower level and those on the upper level. The people on the lower level, they ask the ones on the upper level for some water, for some food. But they say, no, we're not going to give you anything. So the people on the lower level, what do they say? We'll just drill a hole in the ship so that we can get water. So if they do it, then what will happen? Everyone's going to drown. So what is necessary? That they should be stopped and they should be helped. Right? But when there are people around us who are needy of guidance, who need to be told what is right and what is wrong, who need to be stopped, but we live as though we are deaf and we are blind, as if we don't know it's their business, not my problem, then what's going to happen? Inevitably, we are also going to get affected. We are also going to get affected. Think about it. If there is a person in the family who is engaging in crime, the wife knows, the children know, but they don't do anything about it. So the day he gets caught, the day he is in trouble, you think the family is not going to suffer? Are they going to suffer? Of course they will. Are they going to be prosecuted as well? Perhaps. That you knew all this time, but you never reported. You never stopped this crime from happening. So you see how a criminal cannot be isolated from the rest of the people. If the criminal is in your life, remember, his crime will affect you. You can never say that somebody's sin is their problem. It's also your problem. This is why the scholars, they said, that this ayah, what it means is, that don't let evil thrive in the society. Don't let sin thrive in the society. Whether it is in your house or it is on the street, if there is wrong, evil that is happening, speak up against it. Do something to stop it. Because if you don't stop it, what's going to happen? It's going to affect you. It's definitely going to affect you. For example, if you teach your children from a very young age 
We don't listen to music. We don't dress like this. We speak only good words. You shelter them. You protect them in your house. And you don't care about what's happening in the rest of the world. You don't care about the state of the ummah. You don't care about the other Muslim kids. You don't worry about them at all. You're just concerned about your child. So you shelter him in your house, like many women do. But then what happens? When they grow up, they go to college, they go to university, they meet people outside, then where does their faith go? Where do all of their good manners go? All those good values the parents strove to instill in those children, where do they go? They disappear. Why? Because whatever you taught them, it was washed off by what? One movie. It was washed off by what? One lecture. One exposure. Everything gone. So this is why it is necessary that while we are concerned about keeping away from sin ourselves, we are also concerned about others. When we worry about children, we only worry about our children. My children. But the fact is that all the children are your children. They deserve compassion from you. Hmm? So, وَاتَّقُوا فِتْنَةً لَا تُصِيبَنَّ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا مِنْكُمْ خَاصَّةً وَاعْلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ شَدِيدُ الْعِقَابِ And know that indeed Allah is severe in penalty. وَاذْكُرُوا And remember, إِذْ أَنْتُمْ قَلِيلٌ When you were few. The Muslims were hesitant going forwards again in the future. Dealing with the mushrikeen, facing them in battle again and again. They were afraid. Because obviously Badr was quite a difficult experience. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds them of their past. Why are you afraid of going forward in the way of Allah? Why are you afraid of responding to Allah and His Messenger? Why are you hesitant to obey Allah and His Messenger? Remember, remember when you were few, mustad'afuna, ones who were oppressed and made weak, fil ardi in the land. This is referring to Makkah basically. Remember the time before Hijrah, when you were so few, oppressed and weak in your own homes, in the land of Makkah. And what happened? The khafuna. You were afraid. An that yatakhattafakum. He will abduct you. Who will abduct you? An-nasu, the people. Yatakhattafakum is from khatafa. Khatfa. What does khatfa mean? To quickly grab, snatch something and take it away. Like for example, a bird. Hmm? Like a seagull for instance comes and snatches something from your hand and flies away. I remember once we were traveling and we had a lot of extra food and somebody just threw a piece and a bird seagull came and took it. And you can imagine what happened. There was a swarm of seagulls, okay, everywhere. So anyway, we started feeding them all the food that we had. Was, it was quite fascinating. And it was amazing that some of us, we barely threw the food out, we barely tossed it in the air and the birds just came in Snatched it away. This is what khatafa is. So you were afraid that somebody would just come and abduct you. Just come and pick you up and kill you. Pick your family up and finish them off. Destroy your property. This is how insecure you were. This is how threatened you were. You were living such insecure lives. Takhafuna. This is how you were living in Makkah. Because remember in Makkah, every day the Muslims were afraid. The mushrikeen, they had all the power, all the strength. They would just raise up their weapons and go kill somebody. Who would say anything to them? Nobody would. You were so afraid for your lives. And then what happened? فَأَوَاكُمْ Then He sheltered you. Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you a home in Medina. Can you imagine a person who's not secure in his hometown? And he migrates somewhere else. And he's safe there. No threat, no fear. He's living a comfortable, peaceful life. فَأَوَاكُمْ وَأَيَّدَكُمْ And He strengthened you بِنَصْرِهِ with His help. He gave you His help. And that is how you became strong. وَرَزَقَكُمْ And He provided you مِنَ الطَّيِّبَاتِ Of the good things, good foods. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ So that you are grateful. Because remember that in Mecca, nothing grew. And Medina was home of date palms. Alright? So He provided you with good things, good food, fresh food, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you this home, security, peace in your lives, food that is readily available. Why? So that you just sit at your homes and do nothing? No. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ So that you are grateful. 
Think about it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us so many blessings, right? We can wake up in the morning, we can go to sleep at night in peace. We don't have that fear that perhaps at night, you know, some bomb might fall and my house might disappear into ashes. Me and my family might be dead tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to live until the end of the day. We don't live in this kind of fear. We have fears, but not such fear. We are living in peace. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us this blessing of peace and security, why? Why has He given it to us? Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestow blessings on His servants? So that they are grateful. So what is gratitude here? That we say, yeah, you know, I'm too busy. I have this TV show to watch for two hours. So that's why I cannot do anything right now. Is that gratitude? Is that gratitude? No. What is gratitude? That Allah has given you these blessings, now use them and obey Allah even more. Now come out in the way of Allah. Go and serve the religion of Allah. Because you got all these blessings because of the deen of Allah. Think about the time when you were begging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help you be successful in your studies, in your career, in your work. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted you success. And now you're turning your back on Allah? He gave you everything you have, and now you're saying you're too busy to do anything for the deen? Now you're saying you have a family to take care of? Who gave you that husband? And who gave you those children? And today you're making your husband an excuse? Today you're making your house an excuse? Today you're making your children an excuse? Your school as excuse? Because it is these things that really become an excuse for us, and we allow ourselves to stay behind. I can't pray because my children are too young. I can't go for this Qur'an class because I have my work. Because I have my studies. Who gave you all those blessings? He's the one who gave everything to you and you don't have time for Him? He gave you these blessings so that you're grateful. What height of ingratitude are you displaying? Let's listen to the recitation. Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu stajibu lillahi walir rasooli idha da'akum lima yuhyikum wa'lamu anna allaha yahulu baynal mar'i wa qalbihi wa annahu ilayhi tuhsharun وَاتَّقُوا فِتْنَةً لَا تُصِيبَنَّ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا مِنْكُمْ خَاصَّةً وَاعْلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ شَدِيدُ الْعِقَابِ وَاذْكُرُوا إِذْ أَنْتُمْ قَلِيلٌ تَضْعَفُونَ فِي الْأَرْضِ تَخَافُونَ تَخَافُونَ أَن يَتَخَطَّفَكُمُ النَّاسُ فَآوَاكُمْ وَأَيَّدَكُمْ بِنَصْرِهِ وَرَزَقَكُمْ وَرَزَقَكُمْ مِنَ الطَّيِّبَاتِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ I want you to ask yourself a question. What's my goal in life? What do I want to be five years from now, ten years from now? Many of us, we think that in life, I should have a family, I should have a house, I should have a source of income, I should have good health. Right? Are these the things on our list? Yes, in whatever way or form, they're always in our list. They're always a part of our goals. The thing is that all of these things are what? They are means. If you have a family, that's supposed to be a means for you. If you have money, a reliable source of income, whether it's a career or what, what is that? A means. If you have a home where you can go and rest and live at peace, what is that? A means. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not give us our lives so that we strive to have these means. No. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us our lives, provided us with these means, so that we respond to Him and His Messenger and get the life of the hereafter. Get the life of the hereafter. And how do we do that? By following the religion, by living the religion, by serving the religion, by defending the religion, learning it, passing it on, conveying it, living it. But unfortunately, what is our state? That we're just caught up in these worldly goals, in these means. My goal is 10 years from now, I should be settled with a family, two kids, house. This is what I dream about. Is that so? Perhaps every one of us thinks like that. I'm not saying you shouldn't think about having a family. That's something that's part of life. I'm not saying you shouldn't be concerned about a reliable source of income. That's a major thing in your life. That is necessary. You should have a good education. You should have all of these things. But they are what? It means. They're not the end goal. Your life shouldn't stop when you have two kids. Your life shouldn't stop when you finally have a reliable source of income. Your life shouldn't stop when your health is in good state. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings you to that point where you have all these means available to you, then what does it mean? You should istajibu lillahi wa lil-rasul. Respond even more to Allah and His Messenger because that would be gratitude for all of these blessings. And if we just sit with these blessings and do nothing, enjoying our children, watching them grow, just talking about what's going on in their lives and what's going on in our lives, then that is what? That is what? A waste of a life and resources that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to you. Enjoy the children, enjoy the family, enjoy the money, but there should be a greater goal in our lives. And what is that? Obeying Allah and His Messenger. Commitment with the religion of Allah. And that is what was expected from the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. This ayah is amazing. Allah gave you peace, He gave you good food, He gave you home, so that you're grateful. Now show gratitude. Now show gratitude to Allah by serving the deen. And that's exactly what the companions did. They didn't just make their homes and mansions in Medina. They didn't just work on their fields. They didn't just have families. They had all of that. But in addition to that, they were people who went to the masjid. They were people who learned from the Prophet ﷺ. They were people who spent their time learning the hadith, learning the Qur'an. They were people who went far and wide to teach people the religion. They were people who went out in the way of Allah. Why? Because they were grateful. This is why we see that when the Prophet ﷺ passed away, very few companions stayed in Medina. Very few companions. Where did they all go? Did they all die? No. They were all out and about, serving the religion, teaching people the religion, freeing the humanity. But unfortunately, we are just chasing the dunya, and that is what we're happy with. If we have it, we're happy. If we don't have it, we think we're so unlucky. We're deprived. Allah is upset with us. This is what we think. We think success is with the things of this world. And failure is not having the things of this world. This is our criteria. But the criteria near Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very different. Anything you'd like to say? Yes. alaikum. It's been so drilled into us by society that, you know, this is your life. This is everyone, you know, you go through middle school, high school, university so that you can get a job. And then while you're at work, you, you know, meet someone, start a family, keep working, watch your children grow, and then pension plans, retirement. And that's where you get to enjoy yourself and, you know, go travel and do things. Even a small child could tell you that, you know, what do you want to do with your life? I want to get a job. I want to do some work. But it's always, you know, towards material things. We never think, you know, maybe I want to teach Qur'an when I grow up. Maybe I want to work, you know, just for volunteering. Maybe social work, help people. That's never even a little child's goal because it's been so drilled into us that, you know, we have to work for our own success. Yes. And unfortunately, there's something very common within Muslim families. You're going to become a doctor. You're going to become an engineer. It's either doctor or engineer. 
السلام علیکم جسٹ این ایگزامپل کیپ کمنگ ٹو مائی مائنڈ یو نو دیر از اے سسٹم دا اسٹوڈنٹس گو ٹو یونیورسٹی دے وڈ ہیو نون دیٹ ایٹ دا لاسٹ ایئر آف یونیورسٹیز دا بگ کمپنیز دے کم ٹو دا یونیورسٹیز اینڈ دے جسٹ ہائر دا اسٹوڈنٹس فار دا لاسٹ ایئر آف دیئر اسٹڈیز اینڈ دے پے فار دیئر ٹیوشن فار جسٹ ون ایئر بٹ ان ریٹرن دے ہیو ٹو سرو دیٹ کمپنی فار مے بی نیکسٹ فائیو ایئرس اور سکس ایئرس اور سیون وٹ ایور دا پالیسی آف دا کمپنی از رائٹ سو کین یو امیجن جسٹ بائی گیونگ یو ون ایئرس ٹیوشنس اینڈ ایکسپینسز دے آر وانٹیڈ یو ٹو اوبے آل دا پالیسیز آف دیئر کمپنی فار نیکسٹ فائیو ایئرس اینڈ ہیئر وی آر ٹاکنگ اباؤٹ اللہ سبحان تعالیٰ ہو گیو اس لائف اینڈ فرام دا بگننگ ٹل دی اینڈ ہیز ہیو بین پرووائڈنگ اس پرووائڈنگ اس اینڈ وی اسٹل ڈونٹ وانٹ ٹو ریسپونڈ وٹ ایور ہیز رولس اینڈ پالیسیز آر سو دس از سم تھنگ وی شوڈ تھنک اباؤٹ سمبری پرامسز اس لٹل بٹ آف بینیفٹس a little bit of favors and we just go for it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised us much more he's given us everything we have and yet we don't want to respond assalamu alaikum i went to school in a convent and i learned a lot about the nuns you know like um, they used to just have a few belongings and any time they were asked to be transferred from one institute to another institute they would say that we are here to serve God, you know. I mean, we could take so many lessons. They didn't have any materialism. I don't know now how it is, but when I was growing up, I used to see them. They used to not uh, dress, you know, they, you know, their uniform, how it is. And anytime there, there were certain families in India, they were so poor. They had like 11, 12 kids at that time. And each family, they said, okay, so-and-so child of mine is for the convent. And that child would be trained, I mean, he would be brought up you know, in a way that he knows that he's going to go and serve God. This is what they would bring the kids up. And they would put the kid in there. And this is what most families did in one particular community that I know. And this is all over the world. Have you seen the way they serve their religion? It's mind-blowing. Sometimes you see people who are young. People who you see at the malls or at universities. You see them walking around with Bibles, calling people. I remember once two guys, they came over to our house and young boys, university going. And they said that after a lot of conversation anyway, I asked them that, do you do this all the time? They're like, no, you know, I'm a missionary for two years. So I don't go home. I'm from the state somewhere. So right now I'm stationed here and we have our programs and, you know, we go on our missions and this is basically their life. Imagine how much they're sacrificing, how much they're controlling their desires. Hmm? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not demand that much from us. Not that much sacrifice either. Our deen is yusr, it is easy, it is practical, but yet we are stingy. We are stingy. And who's at loss? We are at loss. Because we are depriving ourselves from what? Hayat. And we are inviting the fitna, the difficulties, the tribulations on ourselves by taking the matter of the deen lightly. Sometimes I think, you know, they are not even on the correct aqidah. Yeah, I mean, they're they, not, but yet they're so committed to it. They never miss an opportunity. I was in a train in Montreal and this man, he kept observing us and he must have thought I'm Arab because of my attire. When he got off the train, he said, can I give you something? And I was wondering what, he had a jacket And in the jacket, in the inside, there were pockets. And he actually took out the literature in Arabic and gave it to me. So just think about it. We don't even carry something in English to give somebody, right? We can barely do our assignments. How can we write things about the religion to tell people? How can we? If writing an answer is so difficult for us, how can we produce any material to do da'wah? We dream a lot, but we don't do much. These days, I'm home some days during the week. And in the morning, many times it happens that somebody comes and rings the bell. Minus 20 outside. Rain, snow, ice, slippery, windy, cold. Doesn't matter. They'll come. And they'll say, well, we just have something for you. They'll just give it and walk away. Every single day I see this neighbor across my street. She lives alone all by herself, an elderly lady. Every single day, 2.30, these two ladies come. visit her house, talk to her for a couple of minutes, and they go to the next door, and the next door, and the next door. 
every single day. And it's not young women, not a young girl. It's an older lady and a younger lady. Or two women who are walking in the cold. We say it's too cold, can't go to class today. Where we're sitting in a nice warm class, we're actually so hot that we're falling asleep. Assalamu yes. alaikum. As a parent, we fail even our children because as she said, we just aim when they are young, we just aim how they're going to be like a doctor or this or that, material things. When Allah told us three things that comes with us when we die is like our deities and what sadaqah we did and the righteous child. We don't aim them when they are young to be like, you're going to be a scholar or this or convey the religion or so they can be. Yes. The only role models they see are what? Firefighters and policemen. And that's good. That's good because these are important roles. But there are also other people out there. But only if we listen to them and we take the children to, to such people, then they'll be inspired by them, right? Assalamu alaikum. I come from a country of 90% Muslims. And till today, when you talk about people being scholars, people look at you like, what's wrong with you? Why would you ever want to go for that? And even if you go back and you've learned the deen and you're trying to um, explain that to people, everybody looks at you like, what's wrong with you? Why did you go out to the West and come back dressed like this? Talking this type of language, what's wrong with you? I think we need to drill back into our brains that the deen of Allah will lead us to success. Yes really need to do it yes. at every level. Yes. Okay. When you were saying our deen is easy, but we don't want to serve the simple requests of Allah, I just read recently that in a village in Thailand, they have a festival every year, and a few very religious people in the village are chosen, and what they're expected to do at the village is to have, at the festival, sorry, is to have their bodies pierced with like knives and swords and, and like metal poles and things but the amazing thing is that like you can imagine how painful it must be to have a pole shoved through your head but they're not afraid and they're surprisingly little blood flow when it happens because for 10 days before they starve themselves and they all they do is just pray for 10 days straight and because they're so convinced that they're whatever lord they're praying to is with them and they have so much trust on their God, like they're able to do something so hard. And we can't do something easy, like just pray five times a day or fast for one month. Or... We've become so used to comfort that we don't like difficulty at all. We don't want to face any kind of inconvenience. If our sleep is cut short, we don't like that. If our you know, body temperature is not right or the temperature around us is not right, we don't like that. We complain too much. We need to toughen up a little. And we need to give the same kind of training to our children also. Because life is not easy. If you want to survive in this difficult world, life is difficult. You better toughen up. And as a believer, it's even more difficult. <laughs>